I was underground and upside down and being suffocated, thinking about, wow, this is the day that I die, huh? Really? I, I could not get myself out. I could not move a millimeter. All I could think of was my kids, yeah, they're, they're going to not have a mom. I'm Rebecca Huntington. You're listening to The Fine Line, real stories of adventure, risk, and rescue in the backcountry of Jackson Hole, Wyoming. This podcast is produced by Backcountry Zero, with support from the Community Foundation of Jackson Hole. You can support this project and the volunteers at Teton County Search and Rescue by making an online donation today. Go to tetoncountysar.org slash donate. I was hungry, I was tired, I was thirsty, and I just keep the hobax, and the next thing I know, I'm upside down, suffocating, and trying to breathe for my life. On January 18, 2019, Jackson skier Jenny Carnes was zigzagging down the Hobax at Jackson Hole Mountain Resort. Chasing one last patch of powder, she dropped half-pipe style into a small gully. That's when everything went upside down. Her ski, sticking like a lawn dart out of the snow, caught the attention of Nathaniel Reeder. Two other skiers, Spencer Foley and Josh Bagnato, heard Reeder calling for help. The three dug frantically as Jenny lies suffocating under the snow. In this episode, we revisit that fateful day with Jenny, Josh, and longtime Jackson Hole ski patroller, Kirk Sparky Speckles. The first patroller on the scene, Sparky talks about Jenny's rescue and how to prevent snow immersion suffocation, a danger that lurks on powder days. So I'm Jenny Carnes. I grew up in Jackson. Actually, my family is one of the first homesteaders here. We've been here since the 1890s. And my dad is also an Olympic skier. He was a biathlon skier in the Olympics, but he was also a national champion alpine skier and jumper. And I was a ski racer, state champion for high school ski team. So I've been skiing Jackson Hole all my life, Snow King, you know, the Hobags, the expert shoots, the bunny slopes, whatever. I'm a skier. It's my life. I was fully buried, and I had been there for probably about 10, 15 minutes, upside down. One ski was only one out, and I was fully hanging in the snow with my head almost in the creek. And and my head was actually touching the ground slightly. I could hear the creek, and I was being crushed by the whole side hill of snow. I was near death at that point. I had literally been just kind of bopping down the gully like I have a hundred times before and I, I like to do it half pipe style, you know, up and up one side, down across the little ditch and then up the other side, banking up and 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 I'd been going back and forth. I probably had made ten turns like that and, and it kind of narrowed out and there was some rocks and some, some bushes and, and I kind of dodged around those and went back down into the ravine and then I saw that it was bottoming out and I went to go up the side of the hill to go out onto the ridge. My perspective at the time was that I didn't have enough momentum because the snow was like 30 degrees and and it was a little heavy even though it was 9-10 inches it wasn't even 
that deep, but um, I thought I lost my momentum and fell over backwards, and then the, the hill slid on me. I'm an exercise physiologist. I, I went to the University of Utah, very much into the outdoors and athletics and exercise. I'm a clinical massage therapist at Medicine Wheel here in town. I know bodies, I know physiology, I know Zen spirit. I, I'm a Jesus lover too, you know, so the spirit of the universe, everything. I'm underground there and thinking, how much time do I have? I was literally, <laughs> I was being crushed. My, my lungs and my chest, even though my ski was sticking out, I was still completely vertical and had snow just packing me in on both sides. So it was, I could feel it crushing my, my ribs and my lungs. And I was upside down, so all the blood's rushing to my head. I knew that maybe I could have a little bit of air to breathe, but I didn't know how long that would last, and I was being crushed, so I couldn't even inhale. I was being asphyxiated. My thought was that I just fell over sideways downhill. You know, you, you fall downhill, you flip your legs over. And that's what I was in motion doing. Well, I guess I was in an avalanche, and it just slid me perfectly right into the bottom of the ravine upside down so i i couldn't flip over it was yeah uncanny yeah about the smallest avalanche you can get caught yeah. in. my name is kirk speckles but on the mountain everyone calls me sparky nickname from a long time ago i showed up here in 1980 and ski bum for about seven years before i started working for the resort in 1987 10 years of driving snow cats and making snow later i got my dream job of being a ski patroller and in 1997, so it's about 23 years now. At Jackson Hole Mountain Resort, I'm one of the avalanche hazard reduction leaders. Uh, other resorts call it snow safety. Our team are responsible for assessing avalanche danger and reducing it using explosives, gas -X, and some other tools we have. And unlike avalanches, we cannot reduce the hazard of snow emergence suffocation. Most of them are involved with tree wells. People fall into tree wells and die every year. We can't reduce that hazard. All we can do is try to educate people about that hazard. And so on a morning like that, uh, we will issue a snow immersion suffocation or a CIS alert and Valley Dispatch will take that information and it'll be announced on the tram and the other departments are alerted to that as well. So in the last 10 years, there's been 41 SIS, or Snow Immersion Suffocation Fatalities in the United States. And that figure probably isn't completely accurate because unless it's reported exactly for what it is, it gets missed. I noticed that Jackson didn't, or Wyoming had no recorded uh, cis fatalities in some uh, data I was looking at, and that's obviously not true. We've had three that I know of, and I know Targi has had them as well. I was underground and upside down and being suffocated, thinking about, wow, this is the day that I die, huh? Really? I, I could not get myself out. I could not move a millimeter. All I could think of was, I think I have my affairs in order. <laughs> my kids, yeah, they're, they're going to not have a mom. I, I tried everything. N knowing I'm in a spot where people cannot see me, my, my ski partner literally was a couple of turns ahead of me, and yet I knew he didn't see me. 
after, yeah, 10 minutes, 10, 15 minutes of struggling, deducting, uh, how long do people, I, I, all these thoughts, you know, how long do people that drown, you know, get revived after 15, maybe 30 minutes? Like, who's the longest? Because I was thinking, it's going to take 45 minutes for anyone to get here. When I was under there, I was thinking, if I had one of those snorkel avalongs, literally a centimeter from my mouth, I could not have reached it. I couldn't turn my head a millimeter. I was stuck. This is Rebecca Huntington, and you're listening to The Fine Line. After Nathaniel Reeder found Jenny, he called for help. Josh Bagnato and Spencer Foley just happened to be skiing by. All three started digging frantically. My name is Josh Bagnato. I'm from Charlotte, Vermont. I've been a Vermonter my whole life. Every year for probably the last 15 years, I've gone to Jackson Hole for Martin Luther King weekend with a bunch of my college buddies, and we ski for three or four days. And uh, that's what brought me to Jackson Hole last January, was our annual ski trip. There was about eight of us. Uh, we were joined by one, one local who lives in Jackson. I recall Friday being a great day. We were coming down in the Hobacks. It was about 2 p.m. or so. I was skiing sort of behind my friend Spencer Foley. I recall following him into this sort of large gully. There was some fresh snow there. Maybe there were a few less bumps, and we were tired and looking for a, maybe the easiest way to get down to the cat track at the bottom. And then I recall someone yelling, emergency, emergency. I need help. I need help. My friend Spencer heard it first. He yelled my name. I was uphill from him. I quickly realized something pretty serious was going on, but obviously had no idea how serious it was and skied down. And, and I, I, I will sort of always remember seeing the bottom of Jenny's skis and not really understanding what I was looking at. And, and it took me a, a moment or two to understand that there was a body attached to those skis because it was just such a strange image. It just took me a while to figure out wh what I was actually looking at. I realized right away, I cannot panic. I, I cannot panic. Calm down, calm down, you know. Figure it out. Assess the situation. I realized that my ski was sticking out early on, and I almost kind of felt like I could maybe try and get it off. It took, took about 10 minutes of me trying to save myself and, yeah, my life flashing in front of me, thinking, my kids, I'm going to die. Oh, my gosh, really, this is it. This is it. This is it. I literally was talking to God saying, really, uh, okay, what do I do? What do I do? And the thought came to me, pray and ask for help. And I literally instantly turned my energy out. I stopped focusing on saving myself, and I sent it out. And I just wiggled my toe. And again, I had zero oxygen. I, I, don't, I don't even know how I was still awake at that point because I could feel the muscle in my, it's called your anterior tibialis. It's the muscle that um, flexes your foot and it was wiggling my ski tip and I could feel it seizing up even. And I was like, please God, please God, please God, someone, some, something, someone, look, look at me over here, I'm over here. I know there's someone skiing by. Come over here, God, please, please, please. And literally, 
it took us still another minute or two, and then there was someone there, hand on my leg. The bottom side of my skis were bright pink, and I I knew that you, even in a snowstorm when you're driving, that you can see a white rabbit moving on the side because you're periphery, you know. And uh, sure enough, Nathaniel saw it, and he was um, a skier from Colorado who was on his last run. Nathaniel actually means God sent. You know, one thing I will say, there were not a lot of people skiing in that gully. Everybody was on either side of it. I don't know how many more people would have passed by that gully if Nathaniel hadn't seen Jenny. I, I think there was a lot of good fortune there because it just was not the it was not the place people were skiing. And I think if you were skiing above the gully on either side, I just don't think people would have seen her. Pretty remarkable that he came across her. And and actually sitting there waiting, you know, waiting for help to arrive, there were very few people skiing down the Hobacks, you know, that Friday afternoon. I had been uh, a year or two before at British Columbia doing some cat skiing and, you know, have taken some pretty uh, basic kind of backcountry training. And I recall in British Columbia, we did a drill where somebody got buried. We, we quickly took off our skis and we went on the downhill side of Jenny and and frantically started digging there were moments i felt like i don't think i can keep digging because i can barely breathe but then i'm thinking yeah but if i stop digging and spencer stops digging and Thales stops digging this person's going to die who am i to be complaining I, I recall that pretty distinctly probably was between five and ten minutes i can't imagine it was any any longer than that thinking about has she hurt her back and not wanting to harm her and and at some point, as I said, we, we, we stopped digging, which, you know, I had sort of been trained, get an air wave and, you know, but I, I, it just seemed too desperate. And I think we, we just said, we have got to get this person out of here now. Didn't you say you actually put my leg over your shoulder and you guys just did a one, two, three and a yank? Yeah. And you kind of, kind of lever you out. Um, you know, I think we were up to our waist, maybe in snow, maybe even a little deeper. So we were, we were sort of down in this stream as well i mean not you know wasn't running water on our feet but yeah we, we like did sort of lever you out from below an hourglass funnel type thing where it just kept falling through yeah Scary. it was and it was such a you know it was like such sand. a non sort of threatening part of the mountain such an unlucky set of circumstances i think for you know, maybe this is what happens in all accidents, but, you know, it's not like, you know, she was up at the top of the mountain at some 60-degree slope. You, yeah, you could see the cat track, look like you were kind of on your last turns before your, your run was over. It was a pretty sort of benign part mm -hmm. of the mountain. We didn't have shovels or anything like that, and we weren't really making much progress. The snow kept coming back down on top of her as we removed it. And then we started really hearing her scream for help, it sounded very desperate, very frantic. It quickly, you know, dawned on us that this digging was not going quick enough. We, we, we definitely made some progress, but at some point, um, you know, we took her skis off and I, I think we sort of um, realized, you know, she may be injured, but we got to get her out of here. I, I recall grabbing a leg. Spencer recalls grabbing her, her belt not sure exactly where Nathaniel was, and, and we just kind of pulled her out. And I was really surprised she popped out uh, pretty easily, a lot easier than I thought. 
um, when they did start digging and, and, and pop me out and I took that first breath and just was, <gasps> you know, just, oh my gosh, I, I was so, so thankful. And I, I remember even thinking, even if I pass out right now, like they'll still take care of me. Like it'll be okay. Like I'm okay. Like when I felt that hand on my leg, I was like, oh my gosh, I'm almost dead. If I die right now, they'll revive me mm-hmm. when they get me out. You know, like people get revived. You know, I, I, I just had this knowing feeling that it was going to be okay. And, and, and yet I never actually went unconscious the whole time. And then we were able to get her in a seating, sitting position sort of next to the, the stream that she had been in, started to take a look at her. She, you know, Jenny, was, she was talking amazingly. She was blue in the face. Some other skiers stopped above us. They called ski patrol. And then we basically sat with her and she was in a seated position. And, you know, we we kept trying to talk to her. Another gentleman came over who had some sort of advanced first aid training. He was checking your pulse. Every cell in my body had been deflated, literally. I, I couldn't lift my hand. I remember just looking at my hands and they were blue. Yeah, and then, ugh. She kept slumping her head sort of into her lap and kind of closing her eyes. So obviously we didn't want her to, you know, fall asleep or worse. And so we kept trying to talk to her and kept her head upright. The first person on the scene from Jackson Hole, I, I believe, was was not a ski patroller, but more of a, a like a host or something. And then I think the second person on the scene was, was Sparky. We got the call. I was the first one out the door. I skied down there as quickly as I could, but once I started getting close, I had to slow down a little bit. Um, there was a ski host there, Boz, one of the best ski hosts out there. He's awesome. And he had gotten to the scene before I did. And a few other hosts uh, got there as well, called immediately for oxygen and a rig. I noticed that she was hypoxic. She was in pulmonary distress. Um, she was spitting up some blood, that, and it was not a, apparent that there was any trauma involved. And so I knew it was... Uh, an injury in the lungs, most likely, that that was coming from. My voice on the radio calling for, you know, the gear and extra workers, they told me later there was a little distress in my voice, and there obviously was. I knew that, you know, even though she was almost at the bottom and, you know, she's got a, she's breathing now, no, it was a medical emergency. And what I would describe that is it's, it's very similar to being buried in an avalanche. If you're lucky enough to have an air pocket like she did, you can breathe for a while, but pretty soon the concentration of oxygen goes down and you're starting to rebreathe CO2 that you've expelled. Um, if you move any at all, um, some more snow comes down because it's this loose faceted snow around the creeks on a north-facing side of that ridge. Mm-hmm. Some of the things you can do to help yourself are to be calm, yeah. not move around too much. I realized that immediately too. Mm-hmm. I it, it set me in so fast. It was like being in an icy coffin upside down. My helmet saved my life too. When I went in upside down, the space in front of my face, just that half an inch around my face, that was the pocket, just from my helmet being bigger than my actual head. You know, what I recall being, you know, the most concerned about was her, you know, she would be sort of talking and and seemingly uh, awake, and then she would just close her eyes and her her whole kind of upper torso would just fold into her lap multiple times. And that that was really scary to see. 
because we didn't know, you know, what should we do to prevent this except to try to keep her, you know, awake. My experience on en route to this incident was I know it's a serious incident in my head and I don't want to miss it. I don't want to ski past it, get too low. So I had to, even though I was hurrying, I had to take my time to make sure I found it. It's kind of the terrain I would call a tweaky place, you know. It's uh, You're right, Some it, someone might not go down there for quite a while just because of where it is. And, and not only that, just, you know, the terrain had some bulges in it, and so she was hidden from above. The Hobacks are one of my favorite runs on the mountain. And me too. And even when they're in poor condition, I really love it because it's wide open. There's hardly any trees, and you can just ski 2,500 vertical feet mm-hmm. nonstop. And some days it's really a treat when it's a big powder day or maybe it's a corn day or maybe it's just crud and it's a challenge. It's sort of a diamond slope, as they say, where you kind of start at the point and then there's three main ridges and a couple of goalies. And the goalie that I was in was towards the bottom between the south and the middle hobacks. So they have the north south and middle hobacks it's very far removed from any left you feel like you're in the backcountry and you're actually right next to some backcountry terrain Mm -hmm. Um, the other thing about where jenny was caught later in the season as the snowpack progresses people ski the ridge or they start cutting off of the ridge or they ski down through the gully where she was trapped snow gets built in in, it gets bridged that little tiny that's i I have a hard time calling it a creek hardly any water moves down there but it it can get bridged and the snow can get packed and that uh, hazard completely goes away for the rest of the season when i got there and got out of my skis and when pete poppenshot got there and got out of his skis we both pretty much plunged to our waists because despite the fact that it was warming up the snow was kind of wet or whatever the snow in the creek and near the creek where you were all hollow facets and so it's much better to go feet first than head first and so we were okay but it just freaked jenny out to see that happening to us and we were it was fine we were fine but she was already in such distress and so hypoxic yeah i'm I'm flashing back to that now and she saw that happen she's like oh my god you know i was like no we got this we're gonna be okay but we had to get closer to her in order to get her situated and loaded into the toboggan get the oxygen on and so that happened First, we had to wait for the equipment, you know, mm-hmm. so there was anxiety. Okay. Uh, when the oxygen showed up, we got her on an, on oxygen, on a non-rebreather mask. We loaded her in the toboggan, and that was a little stressful for, for Jenny yeah, from that, what I can remember. And it's a little so tweaky scary. terrain that just getting oh. the rig started was a little little weird, but we had good, strong patrollers in the handles. I was like, no, I can ski. I, I didn't hurt my legs. I, I I'm not getting in that thing. No, <laughs> no way. And um, yes, you have to, Jenny, you have to. It's okay. You can do this. These guys are professionals. I I did not trust them at all. I don't know. I guess I'm just hardwired to, yeah, save myself. We're all kind of like that. Yeah. (laughs) But yes, in this case, she needed to be in the toboggan. (laughs) We transported her onto Union Pass, but then unfortunately, gravity runs out. Um, because there's a couple hundred vertical feet that you have to um, bring her up. Okay. We pulled you up the hill with a snowmobile. A snowmobile, yeah. yeah. And then we unhooked that and then skied it right into the St. John's Clinic at the bottom of the mountain, handed it over, and that's always a good feeling for patrollers when we hand over our patient to higher care. Every single step of the way from being dug out to the helpers that 
that were just even skiing by to Sparky coming and being right in my face and we got you and and everyone did such a good job. I mean, to the clinic, even to the hospital, everything. Like, it was amazing. And even on to Idaho Falls, if yeah, I remember. Yeah, definitely my lungs are what I felt the most, but I actually did have what's called Takasubo cardiomyopathy. It is a cardiac event where they say dying of a broken heart. It's actually a real thing. My heart took a blow, basically an adrenaline overdose, especially because I was inverted. I was upside down. My cardiologists actually say, you know, it's it's unbelievable that you survived because even a a person hanging upside down for 15 minutes or more with the blood rushing to your head and, and leaving your limbs and clogging up your heart, I guess, whatever, pooling and not flowing, not circulating, can be a killer. It zapped my heart. Taka Subo Cardiomyopathy, it's a Japanese word for octopus. Basically, the lower part of your heart sort of bulbs out, like the pressure and the adrenaline and the shock cause it to go wonky, I guess, and uh, blow out. And so it took me about a month to recover from that. I had to do my blood pressure several times a day, and it was my blood pressure was literally like 88 over 50. Every day it got better, but it was so low, so low. And I, I have a heart condition that I got a pacemaker for 13 years ago. I think that it actually played a role in keeping my heart beating, even though I wasn't getting so much oxygen. Literally, my, my cardiologist couldn't believe how strong I was and how, how fast I recovered and bounced back. And my lungs were absolutely trashed, and it took about a month for them to heal. I couldn't hardly breathe. It was like having really bad pneumonia or bronchitis that I, was, mm-hmm. that I was recovering from. But I did ski finally. It ended up being 40 days. Ironically, it was like 40 days and 40, <laughs> 40 nights, nights in the wilderness. And then I finally skied, and I had some friends in town. But um, we did go back, and, and I looked at it. I could not find where it happened because it was completely filled in. Amazingly, Jenny and I, um, in, in January, when I saw her, through a photo I took, we were able to sort of recreate what happened. And, and she saw in the background of a photo that I had looked at a hundred times this little slide and, and realized that she had actually triggered a little slide. And that's really what put her in the upside down in the stream. That was kind of a revelation to me because I, I couldn't ever figure out exactly how she found herself in that predicament, knowing she was an experienced skier. Sparky, from your perspective, obviously you've experienced a lot of situations at Jackson, but what was crossing your mind when you kind of rolled onto that scene? In my career, uh, 23 years of patrolling in Jackson Hole Mountain Resort, I've uh, responded to three separate snow emergent suffocation incidents. The first two I clearly remember where they were skiing with a partner, but the partner did not know that their, their friend had fallen and continued on down to the bottom of the lift. And they were very close together um, on the mountain. One was just below Croaky Point. This is all in the center area of the mountain. There's Casper Chair, there's Bridger Gondola, and there's a lot going on there, a lot of people skiing. In both cases, their partner skied to the bottom of Casper, waited, they didn't show up. 
Went back to look, couldn't find them, made a call to ski patrol. But in both cases, I believe, public found them before we got there. Um, in both cases, the patient was uh, extricated from their situation before I had arrived. Of course, we do CPR and we do what we can and transport to the clinic. The third one was a little bit more like Jenny's. It was at a, in a creek at the bottom of a run called Beavertooth, right down at the base of the mountain. You couldn't get much lower. The gentleman had fallen headfirst into the creek, and as he struggled, more and more of that faceted depth horse snow just filled in all around him and, and until he struggled and lost an airway. Um, all three were tragic. Preventable, it's, uh, you know. My new motto is, everyone's your friend on a powder day. <laughs> Not no friends on a powder day. All friends on a powder day. Exactly. Yeah. We're all guilty of skiing. Yeah, I'm skiing with so-and-so, but you don't see him till the bottom of the run. It's quite related to avalanche danger, you know. You, first thing you want to do is avoid them on high-risk days. You know, what's a high-risk day? Anytime it snows a lot. Uh, tree wells aren't always dangerous, but they can be, you know, it's hard to tell just by looking at a tree well. People love to ski the trees, but there's mm -hmm. days when you should probably avoid it. Mm -hmm. Stay with your friends. If you're not going to ski together and look at each other side by side, that's fun sometimes when it's, the skiing's so good and effortless. You know, at least say, well, I'm going to let every couple hundred feet, let's, uh, let's uh, regroup. It's hard to do when you get the powder mm -hmm. frenzy yeah. going in the brain. Everyone has ski pole straps, and they love them, and, and they put them on their wrists, but they're going to drag you down deeper into the snow. I never put my wrists through a ski pole strap. The only I reason always I, use mine, and now I'm not. And and the only reason I don't cut them off is because I like to hang my poles on my skis in the ski locker at the end of the day. Otherwise, they'd be gone. I never, ever put my pole. Now, if you're skinning, that might be a little different because you can get better leverage or, you know, cross-country skiing. But when you're in tree well or avalanche terrain, don't put your uh, wrist through the straps. Having a whistle. You can put a whistle on a zipper somewhere near your collar so that it's always easy to reach. Whistles are really a good, cheap piece mm -hmm. of insurance. Everyone should have a whistle. Wow. If you are a rescuer, it's always handy to have a shovel. It's the best tool. All those guys digging me out regretted not having shovels. Yeah, and, uh, digging with your hands is not mm -hmm. very uh, rewarding. In fact, Nathaniel, I remember just looking over at him, and he was he was just in shock, face red, sitting over there and looking at his hands, and I think that his hands were even maybe bloody because he had taken his gloves off. Yeah. But a good rule of thumb is, you know, if you're trying to follow the person's body down, if they're head first under in a tree well or in a creek or whatever, um, if you start digging, following the body down, you're just going to put more and more snow down into that person's airway. It's mm -hmm. better to get below that person and dig in from the side wow. and dig towards the airway. And yeah. it's a lot, it's very similar to strategic shoveling that you do in a real avalanche situation where you're digging in from the side. Digging in from the bottom under the side, that's a new one to me. Yeah. And through my experiences with the Jackson Hole Ski Patrol, I no longer get the same enjoyment when I'm skiing in tight trees on a big powder day when I'm solo. Because I'm always <laughs> yeah. a little, you know, in the back of my head, I'm thinking about tree wells. And my favorite has always been trees. And now I'm like, whoa, now that I know what's down there and under there and back there and in there, woo, whole new perspective. It definitely has traumatized me. I've been 
hardcore skiing, river running, yeah, Alaska, wilderness, adventures, survival, whatever, climbing. And um, this, this thing rocked my world. Skiing is my life. And for this to happen, I actually have had PTSD and um, nightmares, bad, bad nightmares, all different kinds of scenarios, like being on the river and there's all these jellyfish and I'm, I'm leaning over the boat and looking at these cool fish in the river and I, and I fall in and then one of them's pulling me under and I'm drowning, you know, or even skiing dreams or, you know, adventure of one sort or another people even, they're fun and then they turn tragic and I wake up screaming, literally. I'm very much the body-mind, mind-body person. Meditation and therapy and gratitude has been the biggest thing for me. Being afraid, I realized, wow, I didn't realize how traumatized a person can get and subconscious this stuff is. And being afraid of, yeah, having fun and then it turns tragic because so many of these things really can. And, And I've had so many friends and so many situations where things have turned tragic and then all of a sudden it happens to me and I'm like whoa okay this is different I was sad for a while I was sad and angry that it happened and that I was so affected by it I really had to come to terms with it actually we actually had planned a cruise and a family reunion in Florida and uh, the Bahamas a couple of weeks after the accident, it had been planned for months, but it was perfect timing. I, I got to get away from Jackson and go to sea level and have the ocean air and walk on the beach. I literally could only walk like half a mile and my lungs just burned. And um, and I would cry. I literally would cry. And it's making me cry now because I did not want to be turned off by skiing or exercise or anything. And, um, and I got home and, you know, it was mid-February, and it just kept dumping and dumping and dumping. I finally did go skiing, and I had, I cried on the on the way to the mountain. I remember I was with my friend. They're like, are you okay? You know, you, they talked me into going, for one. Okay, I'm going to go. You know, I, I do. I got to get back on the horse. And I remember driving. I'm a talker, right? And we're I'm with my friend Morrison Sims. She's my best friend from growing up. And her dad is, you know, John Sims and Sims fishing. And he, he invented avalanche, you know, shovels and probes and everything, you know, lifelink. I went with her and some friends from Colorado and California. I literally remember driving down the highway, the approach to Teton Village and looking up at the mountain. And it just... I felt like vertigo almost. She just looked at me. She had been talking, and I literally was deer in the headlights. She's like, are you okay? And I just burst out crying. And I'm like, I don't know. I, I guess not, you know. And and she's like, well, are you sure you want to do this? And I'm like, I, I don't, but I think I have to. And we skied, and, and, of course, it was dumping, and it was wet and heavy and everything, but we were with such a great group of friends, and, and I really have fun. And I love skiing. I mean, I levitate, and I, I become one with the mountain and the snow and, and the friends, and, and I ski alone a lot, too. You know, I actually ski alone more than I ski with friends and just cruise around, and it's just 
I'm, I'm one with it all. Again, during the summer, even these nightmares persisted a couple nights in a row or once a week, or, or then I'd, a couple weeks would go by. I'm like, okay, I'm finally over it. And then I'd have another one. I've only been skiing a handful of times this year. It, it has been an interesting experience just all around the way that things play with your mind and, and it, that it is a lifestyle. I mean, skiing is, is my lifestyle. Our lives are based around it. I, we live in this Jackson Hole mountain resort town because of skiing, really. 22 people died last year that I know of, maybe more, um, in avalanches around the country, just in, in this, this country. And, and one died on the day that I was buried in Utah, a guy named Michael. <sighs> it just, it breaks my heart. And yet I'm so grateful that, you know, it breaks my heart that I, that they didn't survive and I did. And, and, and I'm so grateful and that I get to live to tell the story. Yeah. and that. All, all friends on a powder day is actually kind of the takeaway, you know? We are all in this together. It takes a village. This podcast is produced by Backcountry Zero, a vision of the Teton County Search and Rescue Foundation to reduce fatalities and serious injuries in the Tetons. Find out more at backcountryzero.com.